There we go. If you want to take your Bibles and head to 1 Corinthians chapter 2 as we get started. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, please. While you're turning, let me ask you a couple questions. When do you start decorating for Christmas? Thanksgiving? Okay. Two weeks before? What do you think others say? Answers that they would give. When do people start decorating? Christmas Eve? You don't. Okay. There's some in this room that kind of do. Yeah. Here's what they said. A couple days before Christmas, October, Thanksgiving, Thanksgiving Day, December 1st, mid-November, the day after Black Friday. Some folk are very specific about it. Give a word or phrase that goes along with snow what? Snow plow? (laughs) Okay, snow white, snow what? Snowman, snowflake? Snow, what did you say? Snow globe? Snowflake, somebody said as well? Snowfall? Here's what they said. Snow globe, snow day, snow angel, snow white, snowflake, snowball, and snowman. They did not say snow plow. Okay? Oh, that's a disappointment. Name something people hang on the Christmas tree. A star. Lights. Ornament, tinsels. Okay. Popcorn? That's not up there. How many? Do, you, do anybody still do popcorn? Any do? Okay. Here's what they said garland, candy canes, tinsel, star, lights, and number one was ornaments. Here's one for you. Name something you will need to wrap presents tape, paper. Okay. Got it. Lab- labels. This isn't up there, but that's a good one. Okay. Here's what they said. Give, <laughs> gift or present, this is for you to wrap, okay? Bows, scissors, wrapping paper, tape, and this was mine, okay? Number one answer, someone else who can do it, okay? Just, just to do the wrapping. What do people do on Christmas Day? Eat? Sleep? Open gifts? Visit family and friends is up there? There's one more not, that you didn't mention. What'd you say? Somebody said it over here. No? Then it was back here. No, it wasn't football. It was spiritual, guys. Okay, it was had to do. It was sleep, lay around, go to church, spend time with family, eat, eat, eat. Now, this is a a survey taken from the world, okay? And if you notice, the number of people who would say they go to church on Christmas Day is very, very minimal. Uh, at that time. It's interesting that we see that, that there are a number of people who are extremely faithful at Christmas and Easter, okay, to go. And the shame of it is a lot of people as a result of that are not really understanding and learning the Bible truths. And so we're talking in this class about the idea of, okay, Bible truths, being able to answer some of those questions that sometimes come from people who aren't so knowledgeable about the Word of God, and sometimes they are. And so what we've uh, taken as our key verse that some of you are familiar with, and it talks about being able, being ready to give an answer to every man that asks you the reason of the hope that is within you. We make these comments, and we have been talking about them all the way through, is that we are supposed to be able to respond, explain our faith, what we believe in, uh, all of us are to be able to do that, to give a defense. We're not supposed to be demeaning and critical. And so we were talking last week, and I was illustrating that last week I had a phone call from a fellow who was very antagonistic to our position that Jesus is God, that Jesus is eternally God, and uh, he was very argumentative that Jesus was a created being, he's not God. And um, one of you made an excellent observation afterwards, I think it was Scott, if I'm not mistaken, he said, you know, one of the, one of the issues, because I made the comment that to this fella that I cannot explain our belief to his satisfaction because his mind was made up a certain way. And uh, I think it was you, Scott, that brought out that uh, the idea, and here's my comment, that even though some will not accept, that what we, we still 
uh, want to be able to present the truth, but some will not accept it. And there's a reason why. 1 Corinthians chapter 2. 1 Corinthians chapter 2 talks about this idea of presenting truth and what people will respond. I want to read the section. 1 Corinthians chapter 2 verse 9. As it is written, eye has not seen nor ear heard, neither have entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for them that love him. But God hath revealed them unto us by what? By his spirit, okay? For the spirit searches all things, yea, the deep things of God. And what man knows, the things of man, save the spirit of man that is in him. So we can relate to people things. Even so, the things of God knows no man, but the spirit of God has to reveal them to us. Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit which is of God, that we might know the things which are freely given to us of God. Which things also we speak, not in the words which, uh, which man's wisdom teaches, but which the Holy Ghost teaches, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. Now you understand what he's talking about. We understand spiritual truth because the Spirit's revealing. One of our ladies was sharing that, that she's doing one of the Bible studies, the Foundation Bible Studies. And um, as she's going through the Bible study, the person that they were doing the Bible study with made comment this week, asked a question very simply. And, I, and I, I'm making a comparison to the guy on the phone who was so antagonistic to the deity of Christ and the idea of a trinity. And this young Christian who's going through a Bible study, when she asked, what does it mean in Genesis 1, let us make man in our image? Who's talking there? And they explained in the Bible study that it's the Trinity and gave a very brief explanation. The contrast between the two people's responses is amazing. The one that I talked to, extremely antagonistic, very argumentative, very rejecting, resentful of an idea of a Trinity. Her response was, oh, that makes perfect sense. What made the difference? The Spirit of God. The Spirit of God teaching, which leads to the, uh, the comment that Scott had made. He said, you know the reason that that guy was so antagonistic? It's verse 14 here in the text. But the natural man does what? The unsaved man receives not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are what to him? Their foolishness. Neither can he know them because they are spiritually discerned. And so the Bible makes it very clear. In fact, he goes on in this second letter that he writes, if our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost because of what's going on. The God of this world does what? Satan blinds people to the truth. So when we're giving the truth and explaining, we have to understand that not all people are going to receive it. And the part of that is going to be because the issue that they're not born again yet. So getting into really meaty doctrines, trying to explain all these things, sometimes it's going to be difficult. But we want to be able to at least give an answer and lay seed and hopefully that'll bear fruit in the time that we go ahead. So our goal is to make sure that we give solid answers and understand. But in order to do that, you have got to take the time to study. For me, it was a reminder last week in that conversation. I need to take the time to restudy some things in Scripture to make sure I can wisely and carefully and accurately answer, what do you say when somebody says he's the begotten Son of God? How do you answer that? Because it implies uh, a beginning. And so it's just a, a refresher. So we've talked about these things so far. The Trinity, we've talked about what God was doing before creation. Here's where we are right now. We started this last week. Do you believe Christianity is exclusive or are there other ways to reach God? And I pointed out last week that surveys being done and asking people, do you agree that a person who generally does good will earn points to get into heaven? 48% of Americans agreed with the survey that was done a year ago. Then there was, when you die, will you, some who would say, uh, when you die, you can only get there because of faith in Jesus Christ, repentance of sin and belief. This is called, must be born again. 33% of the population would then therefore call themselves evangelicals. Now of the evangelicals, they went further and they asked an age group of, the, of those in, the, in that evangelical group, do you agree or disagree with this? You just said, you just said that the only way to get to heaven is through Jesus Christ and faith in him. But do you believe that believing in Buddha, Muhammad, or Jesus are all equally valid? You would think that 100% would reject it, right? Because they just said 
It's only by faith in Christ. But when they asked a follow-up question to try to stir more thinking, here's what they got. 60% agreed with that. So that teaches you and me something, that there's a real dearth of real Bible conviction within even evangelical churches or explanation of those things. And sometimes, and again, uh, you know, um, do we understand that when they come up with surveys, people can get all flustered and, and misunderstand and follow the crowd? We understand that. But this to me is scary. And it teaches us that we as a church, what must we do for the next generation? We need to teach the truth. We need to make sure we're explaining the truth clearly. And here's, here's the truth that we as a church believe, I hope you do as well. This is our doctrinal statement concept, that as believers we believe there's only one way to get into heaven. One way. That one way is through repentance of sin and putting faith in Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. No man... Okay, we believe that. We teach that. We take that. To many people, that appears very narrow and restrictive. Quite frankly, it's narrow and restrictive to us too. That would, then we would say, yes, we believe Christianity is exclusive. But how do we answer that? So especially when people who are attacking that statement that we make, that we, th- we think that the only way to heaven is through Jesus Christ, oftentimes the comments will say, well, you're very arrogant to believe that. It's not about arrogance. It's not arrogant to say, I know that I'm on my way to heaven. That's not arrogance. I don't, I, I, by the same statement, I don't believe I deserve to be in heaven. Right? We're not being arrogant, but what we're dealing is truth. What does the truth say? What are the facts? I want to give you several facts so that if you have this discussion, you can use some of these facts to explain Okay, and again, they may not accept, they may not fully understand, but you're giving a reasonable defense of the gospel. Fact number one, fact is this, faith in anything, faith in and of itself is not enough to get anyone into heaven. Some people will say, well, just believe. Okay, do you have a response biblically to this? Do you have a verse that comes to mind? Okay, here's the one. Do you believe that there is one God? You do well. But even the devils believe and tremble. Okay, are the devils going to get into heaven because they believe there's a God? The answer is no. Okay, so just having faith alone, or let's, let's expand that. Having a, a lot of faith. I have lots of faith in whatever. But as long as you're really sincere, then you're going to be okay. That is not true. That is not true. You can have lots of faith in the wrong thing. Right? Yes, no? Let me give you an illustration. This is going back in history. This gentleman was a tailor, and he decided that in the beginning of the age of aviation that pilots should be able to have a way to get out of the plane if it's going to go down. And so he created a, some type of a clothing that was going to be made out of silk, and it would become some type of a body parachute. He believed in his product. He was so convinced, even after he put it on dummies and threw it off a number of tall buildings and it crashed to the ground, he was still convinced. And so he got permission after an extended period of time to be able to jump off the Eiffel Tower with his homemade parachute. That is him with the parachute heading head first right in the middle of the picture. And when he hit the ground, he left a six-inch impression into the ground. He believed in his product. What was the problem? The problem, wasn't his, the problem wasn't his belief. Okay, it's where he put his belief in. That's the problem. Yeah, let me see if I can illustrate it this way. In Minnesota, starting pretty soon at this time of the year, the, free, the ice is going to freeze. Okay, when we grew up, we lived close to a lake that was called Fish Lake. And in the summer and in the wintertime, excuse me, we would go out there, put our fish houses out there, different things, and fish. And then at times, they would clear off the ice and there would be car races or snowmobile races on the ice, on the lake, okay? And the reason being is because the ice would freeze to about this thickness. And I remember when we would drill through the ice to go ice fishing, we always had to get the extensions onto our, our uh, drill that would go through the ice so that we would get through it. And, so, and yet in Minnesota, can people still fall through the ice? Yeah, what's the issue? What's the difference? It's, it's not 
the belief, it's not the faith, it's the object of the faith. You can believe that this ice will hold you and if it's this thick and it won't. Okay? Or you can be so nervous, I don't know if that ice will hold me, I don't know, but it's going to hold you. Okay? It's not a matter of our belief, it's the object of our belief. Does that make sense? There are people going to church this morning, they believe in their baptism getting them to heaven. They're absolutely convinced. The problem isn't faith, it's the object of the faith. Or there are some who are, who are going to be going and they're going to say, well, my priest, my parents, whatever, they're going to get me into heaven. It's, the question is the object of your faith. The reason being is look at passages like this. You'll have no other gods before me. This is from the Ten Commandments. You shall not make yourself an image from the form of anything in heaven or earth. You shall not bow down to them or worship them. For I, the Lord God, am a jealous God, punishing the children of different generations. The point being is even back in early history, people put faith in the wrong things. And God is saying, you shall have no other God's before me. Um, in fact, we would say the Bible makes it clear there is a way that to a person it seems right, but the end thereof are the ways of death. So it's not the amount of faith, it's the object of your faith that is, makes something exclusive. Number three, all religions cannot be right. They cannot be okay. There's a very simple reason for this. Why is, it, why is it not all religions can be accurate or correct? What's that? They say different things. They contradict each other. They say opposite, opposite things. They can't all be right. Number four, being religious does not mean you're righteous. Righteous is the idea of being able to, give in, to get into heaven. How do we know that? Here's what Jesus pointed out. That he says, many in that day are going to say unto me, Lord, have, not, have we not, and he gives ideas, prophesied, cast out devils in your names, done many wonderful works. But he's going to say, depart from me, I never knew you, and you that work iniquity. So being religious, like those Jewish folk were, doesn't make them righteous. In fact, in Matthew 25, he goes on and says, woe unto the scribes and Pharisees. You go around the world, you try to get proselytes to the Jewish religion, but all you do is make them twofold more of a child of hell than yourselves. Why? You're having them put their faith in the wrong thing, in works, and being religious and doing your thing, but not having the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Let me give you number five. Okay, We would say that this idea of exclusivity is very clear in scriptures and it's not our idea. Okay, To somebody to accuse us of saying, well, you're, you're very arrogant. Listen, this isn't us that, are, that is saying this. It's not us who came up with the idea, Christianity, faith in Christ alone gets you into heaven. Who came up with that plan? God did. God, somebody else observed last week. They said, you asked the question, what was God doing prior to creation? The one thing we know from Scripture is that he was planning salvation's plan. We were in the mind of God before creation. And so God is the one that made it an exclusive situation. In fact, if you go to Matthew chapter 7, does anybody remember what this text is talking about? Then, then turn there. Matthew chapter 7. Matthew 7, watch the exclusivity that Jesus Christ grants to Christianity. Matthew chapter 7, okay? Anybody got it? Okay. What's he say? Enter in at the what? The straight gate. Then he goes on and he makes the comment, for wide is the gate, broad is the way that leads where? To destruction. Because straight is the gate and narrow is the way which leads to where? Life. Who created that? It's God. Do you remember John 14, 6? I am the way. Okay, no man comes unto the Father. Do you remember Acts 4, 12? There is no other name given amongst man under heaven whereby a man must be saved. Okay, do you remember 1 Timothy 2, 5? 1 Timothy 2.5, this, this is a really important passage for uh, people who are uh, trusting in and going to saints, Mary, or other religious characters to help them out. He says there is one God, one mediator between God and man, the man 
this is God. This is God saying this is exclusive. I want to give you a sixth statement, okay? That helps me to answer somebody that says, is Christianity exclusive? Christianity is based upon two really important items. I don't know what other word to use. There are two, two items, things that we really, really, really consider extremely important to our faith, okay? And these two items are exclusive. They are unique. Nothing in the world is like these two items, okay? One is a possession that you have with you right now physically. Another is a possession you have right now internally, okay? Let's do it the one physically that's probably on your lap, what it makes Christianity, what is uniquely tied to Christianity? The Bible. Okay, so the Bible is unique compared to any other claims that they are, this is the Word of God, this is a vision from God, this is a whatever that is done by religions today. Christianity goes to the Bible, and the Bible is totally unique from any other of these religious books. Because the Bible is God-breathed, given by inspiration. The word means God-breathed. The Bible is our standard. He writes to the Thessalonians and he says to them that you have to believe, you have to follow everything that we have done and said. Compare it to scriptures and follow the scriptures. Even Paul tells the people he's preaching that you should examine what I am speaking by the word of God. The Bereans were more noble than those in Thessalonica in that they searched the scriptures daily to see what Paul was preaching if it was true. We know as well that God says if any man does what to the Bible? Adds to the book or takes away shall be added punishment or his name shall be taken out of the uh, book of life. So the word of God is extremely unique. The other critical item in Christianity, and excuse me for saying it in a way that doesn't sound reverential enough, but is Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is, in Christianity, very clearly the only way to heaven. He is it. We've already mentioned those verses. He is unique as the founder of Christianity. Let's do this. You think for a moment. What makes Jesus different than any other religious leader or founder? That it sets him totally apart from all these other religious leaders. There's a whole bunch of thoughts. What's that? His resurrection. He died and he's alive. What's that? His miracles. His legitimate miracles. Right? I mean, are there religious leaders who claim to do miracles? Okay. What else about Jesus Christ? Somebody back here? What is, his, birth. his birth. How is his birth different than anybody else's? The virgin birth. Okay, what else? What's that? He was sinless. His lifestyle. His, okay, with what you have, let's, let's fill in. Okay, because you've hit most of them. His birth sets him apart. Okay, we understand that. Different than any other religion. Different than Buddha. Different than Muhammad. Different than any other. Different than Abraham, the father of the Jewish faith. Different than Moses who delivered the law. Totally different. Okay, his life sets him apart. You had mentioned the perfectly sinless life. Okay, no other religious leader did that. His ministry sets him apart. And what I mean by that is this. He did the legitimate miracles. He showed power over nature. What other religious character walked on water, fed thousands? What other one did that miraculously? We don't have anybody in history Nobody in history that could do that. Nobody could stand up on the boat and say, peace be still, and the storm stopped. Jesus is totally unique. His death and resurrection, as you mentioned, how he rose from he's alive today. His ascension sets him apart. An ascension that some will attack, but how many people witnessed this? How many witnessed his, his resurrection and then eventually his ascension? We know that at one time, there was a group of how many that saw him? 500 people. 500 people. So that whole idea that Jesus is unique brings us to that idea, okay, if you're in a woods, you are totally lost. You are desperate for water. You're desperate for whatever. You hear these critters round about you. You, you know that you're in danger. This looks like a very beautiful woods to walk in, but let's pretend it is extremely, extremely dangerous. And you come to a path and it splits. Which one are you going to take? The well-worn path? 
Well, that might be the broad way. Okay, that could be which one? Okay, some of some of us would say, "I'm not sure." Okay, let's add to it. All of a sudden, Yogi's friend shows up, and he says, "You should go this way. I'm the ranger. You go that way. You're you're gonna you're surely gonna die. But if you go this way, which way would you go?" You don't believe in yoga. Okay, let's, for the sake of the illustration, would you cooperate? <laughs> what, which one would you do? If there was, would you listen to the guy who is supposed to be the expert? Okay, in this, in this illustration that you don't believe in, in this illustration, people are traveling and have to make a choice. There is somebody who came back from the dead and says, this is the right way. That's Jesus Christ. He's the expert. He knows God. He knows truth. He knows the future. Why wouldn't somebody believe in him? Okay, so it brings back to that whole idea. Christianity is exclusive for another reason. Another reason I want to make this comment. A lot of religions offer salvation. Yes, no? Do they give you some idea of maybe here's how you can get saved? Okay. This is what makes the, the, the idea that the salvation that Jesus offers, what makes it different than most religions meeting in America right now? You can know. You can know that you're going to heaven. What do most religions, churches say? You don't know. You don't know. What else makes it different? Okay, it's eternal. Okay, you can't lose it. They can't take it away from you. Other churches, they can take away yours, your, your uh, eternity. What is, yes? The work is done. The work is done. Most religions tell us to do. What does Christianity say? It's done. It's done. So we have all these things that you have already mentioned, uh, and I'm going to add to it. Jesus' unique salvation promises, it is we don't do a thing more except for believe. Most religions who even bring Jesus into the discussion, they say you need to believe in Jesus plus baptism, church membership, give money, do whatever the, the guy says. Okay, So Jesus is, is just so unique. Which brings us back to the odd idea that Jesus... Is, is totally unique. Therefore, he's exclusive. And that's okay. That's okay that he's exclusive, okay? And if we say, well, maybe there's another way, then why in the world did he die? You ever ask somebody when you're witnessing to him? I've done this multiple times. When I'm sharing the gospel, this week I had a chance to share a gospel with a young man. And as I was sharing the gospel with him, the question came up, if Jesus, if there was another way for you to get into heaven, then think this through. Why did Jesus come and die? And the young man made the comment. He said, I never thought of that before. I never thought of that before. There, if, if I could do it on my own, then why did Jesus come? And so, uh, praise the Lord, he got saved. God, God wants Christianity to remain exclusive. There's other passages about be not unequally yoked. So this is a discussion that some of you may have with individuals that this talks about Christianity is exclusive. And frankly, we, can't, we won't and can't apologize for it. Okay, we just can't because whose idea is it? It's God's. It's God. But, um, but I understand where people will initially react and say, really, it's the only way? Well, they don't understand. And so we present truth with them. Let's do this question. Let's embark on this one. Any, any of you run into this? Any, any of you ever get asked this? Okay. Last week, somebody right here came up and they said, I was talking to a relative and they asked me this very question, how do I answer them? I said, come next week to Sunday school, okay? We're going to talk about it, okay? Uh, I've run into this a lot. Now, what is it based upon? What, what motivates this question? Okay, it's a challenge, right? No, Yes. Okay, a lot of people who would ask this question, okay, they're asking it based on this idea. They're challenging God's character and God's compassion. That's where it normally would generate from. They're challenging it because they don't want to believe in hell. 
Okay? And so we have, the, uh, we have these answers. So let me ask you. Okay, I've got, I've got enough. You can see on the notes that you have in front of you that I've got answers for this from the Word of God. How would you answer it? God is holy. Okay? God is just. And there is a difference between those two and we want to talk about that in the next few moments. Anything else? Okay? Where are you at? There you are. I looked that way and I didn't see Danny's lips moving, so I knew it came elsewhere. Okay. Okay. Okay, it's it's really the issue here isn't God's at fault. The issue is we're at fault, okay? But do most people want to accept that? No, no. Okay. Any other thoughts that you would throw? <clears throat> we're gonna develop each one of these so far. Anybody else? Any other thoughts? Go ahead. Right? Does God want anyone to end up in hell? No. 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 Okay, let, let's put it together. This is going to sound weird, some of, some of my discussion. Okay? Um, we're going to ultimately give them the Word of God, but I also want, as I'm sharing the Word of God, I want to get them to think about some things. Okay? Because usually the person that I've had this a- the question asked is, well, if God is so loving... He, he would send people to hell. How would he do that? I would never send somebody to hell attitude, okay? Which is implying you're more loving or better than God. Listen, watch this through. Watch, walk with me through this. How can I believe that a loving God would send anyone to hell? Here are the facts. God is loving. Let's make sure we explain to the person God is love, okay? God is true love. What verses would you use? God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. First John even says the phrase, I forget which, which reference. God is, okay, so we have that. The idea is that God is not a cruel, sadistic being in heaven, that he's kind of hanging people over fire because he's enjoying being, being sadistic. That is not the God that we know. That is not the God we're worshiping. God is loving towards how many people? All people. Is God prejudiced? No. Not a, not, he doesn't, when it says that he doesn't, um, he's not a respecter of face. Okay? We, sometimes people react and go, he's not a respecter of face. All that simply means is God is not, he's not biased based upon skin color. He's not based upon your wallet. That's not the God we serve. He is, uh, he is a respecter of pre- people. He cares and provides for how many people does he provide? Even lost people? What, what does he provide? The rain on the just and the unjust. The sun, air, okay. God loves us enough to give us understandable truths about our plight, our future, etc., etc. And he makes eternal life possible. That's love that he would invite people to come into. So you've got verses that you would expand upon. So we start with this one thought. God is loving. There's no question about this. God is loving. But we're going to add to this. God doesn't love everything. I didn't put everyone. I put everything. Okay? What do I mean by that? I, I know that's that, that you trying to figure out what I mean is Deb doesn't. Okay. He doesn't love sin. Okay, watch the, I'm going I'm to do a logical argument right here that makes perfect sense with scriptures, but I, you may want to help to consider them. Neither do any of us, we as a society, do we hate sin? General, there, there is a truth to this. As a society, do we hate some sins. Some sins. Okay, that's correct. Do we hate sin? Are there certain things that normal people, that's the question, okay, are there certain things that most all of us, including unsaved people, find reprehensible? Like what? Murder? Rape? Okay, some, some form of deceit? Do, do most everybody, does most everybody find child molestation absolutely disgusting? Is that, would that be a truism? Okay. Um, would we find genocide absolutely disgusting? 
Yes? Okay. That is most everyone. And we're saying, okay, we're loving. But let's put ourselves in society and we're loving. We care. But what do we think about the person who's molested a child? They should be punished. They should be taken off the streets. Is that true that most everybody would say something's got to be done with that person? Would most everybody agree Hitler deserved punishment? Okay? Yes? We're loving. But we still want justice. We want punishment for, and I'm, gonna, I'm, I'm putting it in a big character, most everyone wants justice for evil. Right? Okay. So we're talking to those people, and we'd say, okay, God hates just, you know, you aren't any better than God, God, you know, in this situation, because you say, well, why would God send anybody and punish anybody for the evil that they've done? Well, you would too. You'd, you, know, you wouldn't advocate evil. You would punish it, and you would think that you're right. In fact, even though our society is saying good is bad, and bad is good, and it's being turned upside down. Don't those people turning it upside down still want some type of punishment for those who disagree with them? Okay. So within our, within our you know, makeup, social fra- fra- structure, people want some form of punishment to those, that, to those or to those items that discuss them. And, uh, and we've just listed a few of those. We all agree that even though we are loving, it is proper to detest and abhor real rank evil. Okay. So we go on and say, we agree that it is not loving to ignore evil. Does that make sense? Okay. Society as a whole. Let's take, let's take a rampant thing that is happening right now. That it's, it's very, it, it's, it's morbid, but it's bad. Sex trafficking. It's in our area. There are, there are people that are, that we know of a case where there was a Christian family with young teens, and guys out of New York set these teens up over the internet with a goal of trying to capture these girls and take them to New York and put them into sex trafficking. What should be done to those guys? Right? If that were your daughter, what would you want? Even if it's not our daughter. Okay. Do you, you love, you love, but, but you still want punishment. Do you love if you say, let him go? We shouldn't do anything. Then we would question that person's compassion for people. Right? Yes? Does that make sense? Okay, so why are we questioning God's compassion when God says there's evil that needs to be taken care of? Let's take the argument a little bit further, okay? It is a proper response of a loving person, family, community, and God to punish evil or evildoers. Let's take number three. That's, that was mentioned, I think. Rita, is this one you threw up right away? God is holy? Okay, you got verses for this? Any verses on God is holy? Be ye holy as I am holy. Holy, 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 Isaiah 6. Okay. And so we can put up all these different passages that some of that you've referred to. Okay. And the fact is, God's holiness far exceeds your and my holiness. Would we agree with that? God is more holy than we are. Is he more holy than a church family, all of us combined? Okay. So God is more holy. He is opposed to any degree of sin. That we can, we can back up with Scripture. Okay, what, what are you using? Okay, in Revelation 21, 8, you said? Okay, he says, um, but uh, the whoremonger, the murderer, the unbelieving, the, uh, the adulterer, there's the, the, the sorcerers, the traffic, drug trafficking. Um, and then he says, and all... Liars. He ends up with all liars. Okay, Revelation 21.8. Can you think of another text? 
How about for all have... Uh, I mean, sorry, let's back up. The wages of... Plural, singular? The wages of sin? Okay. Okay, what, do you remember where you're referring to? Book of James. Book of James. For whosoever shall keep the whole law and yet offend in one point. Okay, if you keep all the Ten Commandments perfectly through your life, and then at the very end of your life, you break one. You're guilty of... You're, you're guilty of breaking... Of, of sin. You're guilty of breaking God's commandments. Okay? And so he's very clear on that. Um, in fact, this is the, the silly illustration I use with, when witnessing, is when I was, uh, when I was a teenager, I had my, my pellet pistol... And I sat in the gas station, and the TV was right about where you were, Tom. And I thought, I wonder if the pellet will bounce off the glass. So I shot the pellet gun. And it was a good shot. It hit right in the middle of the TV. You know how the TV tubes used to be where they were, uh, what is it, convex? Am I saying that right? Okay. Um, They would have that bulge in it. I hit it just perfectly, and it did this crack. How much of the TV was affected? All of it by one act. The same way, how much is my relationship affected where all of a sudden I get out of tune with God by one act of sin? Okay? I'm a mess. I have one sin is enough. The wages of one sin is enough to separate from God. Okay? And so we say, okay, God is just. We've given you several verses. As so, he, he will, he set up, and he will follow his moral code of justice. God doesn't pervert his justice based upon monies. God doesn't pervert his justice based upon skin tone. If God were all of a sudden, he would eliminate his own justice system for somebody out of a whim what would that do with justice? It, he would no longer be a just God. He wouldn't be just anymore. So in his justice, in his moral code that he has established, it says that there's going to be punishment for sin. Okay? And he does, okay, for those who would say, okay, why doesn't God do something about evil? He does. He is. He's just. He may not be acting as quickly as you and I would like him to, but is God already giving out consequences for evil? He already is. Okay. Is he condemning evil? He already is. Does he chastise believers who do wrong? He already is doing it. Okay. God is just. He must follow his own laws of morality that require punishment. So this is what we've seen so far. Okay. That he must punish evil because he's loving, holy, and just. The real question is really is, comes down to this. What qualifies as evil? Okay, we think as a whole society, we think Hitler was evil. Granted, yes or no? Okay, S- but we don't think who is evil as a whole. We don't think we ourselves are evil. What qualifies, how bad is bad enough to face hell, which you've already mentioned some of these thoughts and <clears throat> the reference that you just made, the great white throne, okay, the Revelation 21.8. And if we think this through, come the great white throne judgment, it makes this statement. Now, we understand that if your name is not written in the book of life, you shall be cast into the lake of fire. We understand that. Okay, it comes down to belief. Where did you put your trust? But during the judgment that takes place, it says that he will judge them according to all their works. Why? Why does God bring up all the works of an individual? Okay? He's just. What's that? He's he's actually he's proving his point. If you take you guys, you guys right here, let's, let's just take your life, okay? My life, your life. And we put ourselves right here, and we would say, we've done some pretty rotten things, but we've done some good things. But if we put all the rotten things 
from all your life, from all the years, and put them right here, including all your thoughts that were rotten, including all your words that were rotten, and we said, put them all right here. And they're, they're there, and I'm not saying that God will do this. But right now, we put all of you on display. What would you want to do? Hide? Would you look at it and go, that's disgusting? Yes, no? Okay, for me, which I'm so glad, forgiveness means I will never bring it. He will cast it as far away. Okay? But would I consider myself evil if he brought up everything from my entire life and he says, by the way, this is what you thought, this is what you did, this is what you said. And he says, therefore, you don't deserve to go into heaven because you've done a whole lot more bad than what you want to remember. Um, I wonder if that's not what he's doing at the great white to prove his point to the people that he is just. Okay, he doesn't have to do that because if they don't believe, that's enough. But he does bring up their works. So we put it, uh, we put it down that every, the bottom line is we're all wicked. We're all evildoers when you take the entire scope of our lives, thoughts, deeds, and put it all together. Here's another fact. God is not, and somebody who, Larry, did you mention this one? Okay, that God is not anxious to send anybody to hell? Okay, is, uh, what verses would you use, folk? He is not willing that any should perish. Any other verses? Can you think of any? If you were to turn to this text, okay, Ezekiel chapter 18, and let me make it easier for you. Let's put it up here. Have I any pleasure at all that the wicked should die, says the Lord? and not that he should return from his ways and live. I have no pleasure in the death of him that dies, says the Lord. Wherefore, wherefore turn yourself and live. He goes on in the same uh, book. Say unto them, as I live, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked would turn from his way and live. Turn, turn from your evil ways. For why will you die, O house of Israel? Very clearly, God is not anxious to condemn people. <clears throat> in fact, in the sight of God our Savior, 1 Timothy 2, who will have how many people to be saved? Okay, it says all, to come unto knowledge of the truth. In this passage that most of us know, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Facts, God does not. He not, does not enjoy sending people to hell. In fact, he didn't even make hell for people. Who did he make it for? Okay, it's for the devil. It wasn't, it wasn't, but his justice, his love, his holiness demands that he follows through with the punishment for somebody's uh, violation. If he doesn't send people to hell, okay, if he loves, then why doesn't he do something about it? He did, okay? He does. Okay, what did he do? Okay, there's a virtue dilemma. I'm going to call it that just for the sake of discussion. There's a virtue dilemma. Virtue dilemma, God's, God's saying there must be punishment for sin. There has to be punishment for sin. If I don't do that, I'm not loving, holy, or just. But I don't want people to be punished in hell. So how does he resolve the virtue dilemma? Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ satisfies the payment for the, for the punishment. So Jesus Christ reconciled all this by giving himself. He paid it when he says it is finished. Or in other words, it is paid in full. Who got paid? Don't say Satan. Okay? Who got paid? Basically, the justice that was demanded. God's holiness got paid. God's justice got paid. The, the requirement got paid. Satan. People will say this. Satan got paid. Uh-uh. Okay, Satan wasn't over God. God paid his, his own, to his own satisfaction, his own moral code. So Jesus Christ paid out of love. In fact, he even paid for, this is an interesting thought, that some will, will teach this doctrine. Jesus only died for a certain few, the chosen. What do you do with this text? Okay, that, he, that even those denying the Lord, talking about false teachers, he paid for them. 
He bought them. He paid for their sins. He died for their sins, even though he knew that they would deny him. So we have this whole idea that Jesus Christ, he in suffering on the cross, paid the ultimate payment that an infinite being was able to solve within a finite period of time when he said, why have you forsaken me? The two, two of them, God and the Son, were totally separated at that moment. And somebody would say, but it's not fair that God would send somebody to hell. It's not fair that Jesus suffered for yours and my sin. Because Jesus did, did what? He was sinless. He did no sin. So we go to this one, number seven, and then we'll wrap up. God continues to move so people don't end up in hell. Why doesn't God do something so people don't end up in hell? Not only did he pay the payment, what's he do today? What's he do today to keep people out of hell? He sends, he sends the message. What else? Okay. He gives another day, another chance. I didn't even put that up there, but excellent, Julie. Okay? Anything else you think that God does? Okay? The Holy Spirit does ministry. What does the Holy Spirit do? He convicts, he convicts people of judgment, righteousness, and sin. Okay? He's convicting people. Did any of you, did any of you have that conviction before you got saved? Okay? What does he do? John 12 says, if I be lifted up, I will draw all men unto myself. He's wooing people. He's drawing people, okay, through his word. He orders his disciples to share. So God is moving. The problem isn't with God getting the gospel out. Yeah, it falls on you and me. Let's, let's wrap up with this. Although God is sovereign, and we, this, we got started with this. God is sovereign. He can do whatever he wants to do. Yes, no? Okay. God is sovereign and can do whatever he chooses to do. However, he has chosen that he will not violate his own standards, his own character. Because if he violates his own character of holiness, his standard of justice, he's no longer God. He's no longer a just and holy God. And as well... He cannot and will not violate something that you were created with in the image of God. Free will. He will not violate free will. By the way, the same people who argue, how is it that God would send anybody to hell, are the same people who would argue, why doesn't God give me a choice if it was reversed? And, and I know that's true because that's what will happen according to Revelation 20 at the end of the kingdom People who had no choice will rebel because they want the choice. And so God gives them that, that opportunity. If I, can, if I can illustrate it and conclude it with this, that God isn't the one responsible, men are, and give you this basic silly story, but I think this explains it for me very well. An atheistic barber was talking to a pastor, and the barber said, if there's a loving God, how can he allow poverty, war, suffering? How could such a loving God send anyone to hell? At that moment, a disheveled man crossed the street. The pastor said, you're a barber. You claim to be a good barber. How is it you allow that man to go about unkempt and unshaven? And the barber responded. He said, he never gave me a chance. And the response is, exactly. Men end up in, end up in hell because they don't give God a chance. <laughs>